This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon from Ash Wednesday is by Deacon Brett Kroll and is part one of our Lent 2016 series. Well, I don't know about you, but I love Ash Wednesday, which is a little strange because it's a fast day. But it reminds me a little bit of when I was a little kid and we'd wake up before the crack of dawn and all pile into the suburban and we were off on a vacation, on a trip. Lent is a journey. It has a destination. You know, I was thinking about all of our family trips and what they had in common, and I realized, yeah, any time that we went on a family vacation, we ended up someplace. Profound epiphany, right? Yeah, 7 a.m., they didn't get it either. Noon, they were a little better at it. But truly, any time you're on a journey, you don't just drive around and then end right back up where you started. Dad throws his hands up in the air. Well, I guess we're not going anywhere this time, kids. When whether it's California or Texas or that trip to Glacier National Park, man, that is a great destination. You're going somewhere. And so day one of that journey, there's that excitement, there's that anticipation, we're heading somewhere. In the journey through Lent towards Holy Week, we have a destination. And the destination is the cross. And in the time between now and when we on Good Friday and through our Easter vigil and Easter Sunday morning resurrection remember the central element of our faith, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, in this time leading up to that, we are preparing ourselves to meet Jesus in a fresh and new way. And like in any journey where you're on foot, as you walk, you talk. So in these next 40 days, what's the conversation between you and Jesus? What's the conversation that he wants to have with us as a church? And I think for us, the question and and the sort of prayer of our heart is, Lord, would you reveal your heart to us? Show us who you are. Show us what it is that you care about. But also, would you reveal our own hearts? Show us what we care about, what we're living for, and show us the difference between those two. And the wonderful thing about the Christian journey and the gift and the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what he's doing is he's taking that difference, the gap between his heart, our heart, he's closing that gap. Lent has always been a journey, and if you're new to resurrection, uh, you may be wondering, when's Lent? Where does it come from? And it goes all the way back to the early church when there were many more um, people coming from non-Christian backgrounds. There were pagans coming into Christianity, and there was a three-year, pretty extensive process of rigorous training, instruction. You had a sponsor or mentor who guided you through that whole time. And the culmination, the final phase of that process, you were not fully a Christian yet until you went through the Lenten journey. It was 40 days before baptism, which was always at, at Easter. Forty because forty is an important biblical number. The flood, rains came for forty days. Uh, Moses was on the mount for forty days, forty years in the wilderness. And then, of course, Jesus himself was tested while he fasted in the wilderness for forty days. So for forty days, those who were preparing to be accepted as full members of the church would fast, And they would take a really good look at themselves and say, do I really want to do this? Am I really ready to leave behind entirely my old way of living and embrace entirely the Christian way? 
So it was a time of examination. It was also a time of, of purgation and turning away from the ways of the world. But it was also a time of excitement and joy as they anticipated, now I'm finally going to get to, get to be fully included into the body of the church. So it had a very clear destination, baptism. Well, today our Lent still has that feeling of, of journey. It also has that feeling of examining the self and allowing the Lord to examine our lives as we ready ourselves to meet the Lord in a fresh way at Holy Week. And I want to encourage you that if you let it be a journey, and if you set your sights on Holy Week, and especially on the cross of Jesus Christ, and if you ask Jesus to meet you in the midst of this 40-day journey, my experience, and that of many others here at Resurrection, is that He will. Not always in a way that you can pinpoint and say, yeah, that's what the Lord did this year during Lent. That was the thing he's working on. But sometimes, right? In my own life, I can remember a few years ago where the Lord made it really clear, I want to work on jealousy this year. And he just brought to mind and made it very clear that there were certain people in my life that I, I both loved, but I, I, ha- I couldn't fully enter into the love of them as I should because there was a part of me that was holding back. I was jealous. I felt threatened. And the Lord said, go talk to them. Tell them. Confess your jealousy. And I said, that doesn't feel good. But I did. And in confessing to them, not only did it break the, the jealousy in my heart, which, you know, Proverbs says, envy rots the bones, and that's so true. And not only did it break that stronghold that it had over me, but also then forged a bond of affection between me and, and these other brothers who I should have had full affection for. Another year, and I remember it was the year that Father Kevin preached on the Lenten discipline that you do not choose, because you would never choose that yourself. God chose it for you. That was the year that the girls, we have twin girls for those of you who don't know, they were about six or seven months old. And I kid you not, right that first week of Lent, they started doing this thing where well, we had them in bed with us through, through the night, and they started doing this thing that in order to soothe themselves to fall asleep, they would kind of reach up and start pinching our necks. <laughs> it was maddening. And, and, and the craziest thing about it was that this was their way of falling asleep. So if you like tried to stop them, they would wake up even more and cry. So you just had to sit there and endure it while they're <laughs> pinching your necks. So I gave up sleep for Lent that year. I also gave up competence in many other areas of my life. But, but truly, the lesson that year was the Lord showing me my human weakness and my limitations. And all the plans that I had for rigorous spiritual disciplines, just out the window. And he was teaching me grace as well. That's kind of the fun thing about the first day of a journey, is you don't exactly know where it's going to lead. You don't know exactly what the Lord has in store for you or for us as a church. What he wants, though, is openness, willingness, readiness to say, all right, Jesus, what do you want to show me? What do you want to show me about yourself? Reveal your heart to me. What do you want to show me about myself? Reveal my heart as well and show me the difference between. But of course, the point of all of this is that, like I said, that gap would close and we'd become more and more like Jesus. As James promises, draw near to God. Any step you take in this direction, any small step you take, 
He says, I will draw near to you. Draw near to God, I will draw near to you. That's a promise. And it makes whatever disciplines we take on, it makes the season that is a season of penance and repentance, it makes it also joyful because we see the goal and the destination that we're moving towards. That's why I love being a Christian, because it's always a feast. Whether it's a feast, like a feast day, and we're feasting, we're rejoicing and celebrating, or even when it's a fast, you're feasting on the Lord. So whether you're feasting or fasting, it's always a feast, the Christian life. It's a joyful thing. And everything that we do, from the liturgy to the liturgical seasons to the rituals in our worship to the disciplines that we take on, they have this single goal of drawing us closer and closer to the Lord. That we might have union with Him and union with one another. So in Luke 9... It says, when the days for his being taken up, which is referring to his uh, being crucified on a cross, when those days were drawing near, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this journey is not only a journey that we are on, but, but really what it is, it's the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, to the cross, that we join him in. And we're saying, on, on the journey... Reveal your heart. Show me what your heart is like. Show me my heart. In your God's invitation to us to surrender our hearts, to surrender all of our hearts and all of who we are, that is a very common theme. You see it throughout Old and New Testament. We see it here in our Joel reading. Return to me with all your heart, God speaks through his prophet. And this is not the first time that he said this. It actually begins way back in the law, which is sort of the foundation of the Old Testament scriptures in the book of Deuteronomy. God says to his prophet Moses, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, everything that you have, all your being. Love me. That's what I want above everything else. Jesus, later on, reaffirms that that is the greatest commandment. And all throughout the scriptures, the theme is the same. Back to Deuteronomy, again, in the law, which we think, oh, the law, that was like the dead rituals that really didn't mean anything that the Israelites had to do. Well, no, right in the book of Deuteronomy, it's very clear, Deuteronomy 11, God says, don't just circumcise your bodies, circumcise your hearts. Obey the Lord your God with all your heart and serve Him. And if we look at the gospel reading for today, the context of the gospel passage, it's set within the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus preached. And if you read elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, you see that the theme is very, very clear. What God cares about more than anything else is your heart. Why do you do what you do? What's the motivation for that? Why do you not do what you don't do? What's the motivation for that? That's what God is looking to. It's why, for an example, elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look, Even if you're technically not committing adultery, if within your heart you're indulging wild, lustful fantasies, it's the same thing to me because I see the heart. So God cares about the heart. He wants to see what do we really love. He doesn't care about outward shows of piety. doesn't care. I remember a few years ago, uh, we had uh, a friend, a a neighbor who... uh, had some trouble taking care of, of herself, uh, needed help from time to time. Small things, like I'd take out the garbage. 
One day I found myself washing the dishes. She asked if I could come over and do that, and I said, yep, I, I can do that. But quite honestly, that day I was in a pretty bad mood about doing that. Frankly, I, I was just cranky the whole time I was washing the dishes. I finished up, I went back to my apartment, and as I went back, I felt like I heard the Lord say, just a small, quiet, gentle, but firm rebuke. Brett, that meant nothing to me because your heart wasn't in it. In fact, you're cranky the whole time. He doesn't care about outward shows of piety. This, by the way, for us means if you don't know how or why giving up chocolate for Lent will draw you nearer to Jesus, then don't do it. Just eat the chocolate, okay? Yeah, some of you are going to go away and it's like, all right, sermon takeaway. Tall skinny guy said I could eat chocolate. Don't have to worry about any Lenten disciplines. Now, actually, probably the better path would be take a minute, sit down, and think, or maybe talk to somebody else, why might this draw me closer to Jesus? How might it? Here's a few ideas for you just to kind of get the juices flowing. Um, first of all, it strengthens self-control, right? Anytime we practice small measures of self-denial, that's strengthening that self-control muscle. I'd want to grab for that, but oh, I, I don't because it's Lent. Self-control, like a muscle, the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And Jesus, or well, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, so we become more like Jesus the more self-control we have. Also, you might notice when you take on a discipline, like giving up sweets, that, wow, at the end of the day, when I'm kind of antsy or just feeling like I need something and I don't know what, my first instinct is to grab the sweets or to just munch on something. And I didn't even realize it until now I've given that something up and I realize how much I look to other things for solace. And what would it be like if first I look to God for solace and comfort, even in these small little areas? So it can reveal things. So giving up chocolate for Lent can be a great thing. But again, why do we do that? Why do we do any of this? It's because God cares about fashioning and forming our hearts. Again, back to Joel. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. And I, I realize as I'm reflecting on that, well, it's interesting because I, I could rend a garment. You might disagree looking at the size of, of my physique and say, like, yeah, probably not. But, you know, like somebody could, somebody if they were strong enough, could take a piece of cloth and just rip it in two. But you can't do that with your heart. You can't rip your heart. And so I was wondering, well, why are we called to do something that we can't do? How can we rend our hearts? And I realized it's because the Lord wants us to invite Him to do that. Holy Spirit, you rend my heart. I invite you in. I invite you to speak a word of correction or discipline. I tell you one of the scariest prayers you can pray, but a great prayer you can pray, is, Lord, discipline me. I know I need your discipline. I don't even know where or how exactly, but I know I need it. I love your discipline. Please discipline me. It's a great prayer. And it invites the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's one way in, this, in these uh, 40 days in this journey towards the cross, towards Holy Week, to say, all right, Lord, reveal your heart to me and reveal my own heart to myself. Because when we see God's heart revealed to us, we naturally want to imitate him. Because we behold the glory and the beauty. And we say, that's what I want to be like. I think we get a little confused with Lent sometimes if we think, all right, this is the time where I need to start by feeling extra special sinful about myself. 
that doesn't work, right? That's not motivating for any of us. And that's not what God is asking us to do. He says, no, the place to start is by fixing your eyes upon me. So, uh, one of our favorite verses here at Resurrection is from 2 Corinthians 3, that with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, we, degree by degree, are transformed into that glory. Or here in 1 John, John is writing and he, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Then he goes on to say, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Well, that's a great mystery, isn't it? But what we will be, well, we shall be like him, because when he appears, we shall see him as he is. So he's tying together this idea of beholding is becoming. What we behold, that's what we become. And the glory that we see on the cross, which, by the way, the cross at first is the most egregious and terrible evil possible, right? God showed up to earth and we killed him. And yet, exactly what he's doing in that is he's transforming that hatred and that death and that completely, like, the worst possible thing into the greatest possible thing. And so the Bible says the cross is actually the glory of God. It's the glory of Jesus. And as we behold the cross and we behold what Christ did for us on the cross, we say, that's beautiful. And John is saying... And as we behold him, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Then the next verse, Then everyone who has this hope purifies himself, just as he is pure. So it's because of that we're motivated to purify ourselves, to enter into a season of penance and purgation, and saying, Okay, Lord, have your way. It's when we see the Lord revealed to us that we begin to see the dirt in our lives as well. I was talking to another friend uh, recently who was rejoicing. He was saying, you know, one thing that I'm celebrating looking back on, on this year is that for the first time in my life, I'm really consistently in the scriptures in the morning and also praying together with my, my spouse, my wife. He said, that's been really great. It's been a blessing. So the other side to it, though, is the more I've been consistently in the scriptures, the more I'm realizing whoa, I've got some things that I need to work on, or rather, allow the Lord to work on them. He said it was kind of like walking into the house while the lights were still off and then flipping up the lights. That's what the consistent time in the Word and in prayer was doing. It turned up the lights and he realized, there's some dirt here. But the motivation, the end goal, it is always beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, what happens if at this stage, on day one of this journey, we... We don't fully embrace this idea of the journey, or we don't lean in or, or press in. What could happen? What's the danger? What's at stake? What will happen? Well, perhaps nothing much. But that's not what we want, right? Nobody wants that feeling of, of being stuck or of stasis. Again, if, it, if it's a metaphor of journey, we want movement, we want to be moving. And uh, to reference another famous journey that you probably all are very familiar with, Dorothy, on the way to the Emerald City with the lion and the scarecrow and uh, the tin man, they stopped in the poppy field to rest. And if you remember, why was that dangerous? Well, because there was magic in the poppies and, and it made them sleepy. 
And if they laid down and completely fell asleep, they might never get up again. They'd forget all about their destination, and they would just fall asleep. And both Jesus and Paul, as well as Peter, say words of warning about falling asleep. So Paul in Thessalonians says, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. For those who sleep and those who get drunk get drunk at night, but we belong to the day. You belong to the day. And of course, he's not saying we can never sleep. We, we need to sleep every day. That's an important part of, of uh, how we're made. But he's using that as a metaphor to say, don't let your heart get sleepy. Spiritually, don't get sleepy. Or else you may lay down in the poppy field and never get up again. And rather than degree by degree by degree, growing in the glory and being transformed into the image of Jesus, instead by degree, little by little by little, we begin to fall away and fall asleep. And so that's where the season of Lent is especially helpful for us of all the liturgical seasons. Because in entering into spiritual disciplines, the disciplines are sort of what wake us up spiritually. They wake us up back to the things of God. So you think about um, in the Wizard of Oz, Glenda the Good Witch, what did she do? She came in and, and she made it snow a little bit. And the snow refreshed them. It kind of woke them up and realized we have to keep moving to our goal. We have a destination that we were forgetting about. And that's what the spiritual disciplines do. Or go back to the road metaphor, the journey of the road trip. It's like that cup of coffee at like 2, 2.30 in the middle of, of the road trip where you really need it so you don't fall asleep at the wheel. I realize that's a problem if you gave up coffee for Lent, but it's just a metaphor, right? So the spiritual disciplines awaken us. They give us that hunger and that thirst for the things of God. And in our gospel reading, it lays out the three classic disciplines of prayer, of giving money, so almsgiving, giving to the poor, which I would add to that uh, works of mercy or works of kindness. So uh, prayer giving money or works of service, and then fasting. And then under all of those three, we would also say, and really the, the foundational discipline is the Word of God, which, of course, we're reading the Word of God when it tells us those three disciplines are really important. So fasting, prayer, almsgiving, and the Word of God. These are the disciplines. These are the way that we enter into this journey. These are the ways that God gets a hold of us. Um, reading the Bible and praying, these are some of the most foundational disciplines. And if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard many times, read your Bible and pray. And perhaps some churches did better jobs than than others of of making that a, a joyful experience and not making it a legalistic one. But it's important to remember, this is the foundational discipline. And if you're not in the Scriptures every day, then that's your discipline for this Lent. Take God's Word into your life every day, even if it's small amounts. And after you read a little bit, pray on that. I think sometimes what keeps people from reading the Bible consistently is they don't know where to begin, or they don't have like a plan. So you can either check out their uh, programs like Year Through the Bible that Holy Trinity Brompton does, or you can just pick a book of the Bible and decide to go through it, straight through, left to right chapter at a time, and pray on what you're reading. Read your Bible, pray. But now here's the thing. If you are busy, I get that, I understand. 
Um, so I like to think about it sometimes like drinking water. If you add up all the minutes in a day, accumulate them together that you spend drinking water, probably wouldn't be more than three or five at all, if even that. And yet, how crucial is drinking water every day to your ongoing survival? So if you really do feel like you don't have a lot of margin in life, I still encourage you, find a way to have the scriptures in your life every day. Fasting. What's great about fasting, whether you're fasting from certain foods like sweets or chocolates or whether you're doing whole fasts like skip a meal or two in a day, is it does create that physical hunger. And that physical hunger, because we're spiritual and physical beings, that physical hunger really easily translates over into a spiritual hunger. It makes you hungry for the things of God. So I'd encourage you, if, if you're in a healthy place physically, consider fasting. And one prayer that I like to do whenever I'm fasting is just to say, Lord, I fast from this because I'm fastening to you. We fast from this to fasten more fully on you. And giving money or works of service, I don't know if there's a simpler easier, quicker way to experience the exhilaration and joy of, of the life of God than to give something away or to do a work of service. I remember when I had uh, the, the youth group, we would occasionally do uh, nights that we called, we called them work it. I don't know who named that, but the idea was it was a service night. We would go to different places, sometimes mostly just houses of people in our church who needed a little help. And one night we went to a woman who was suffering from long-term illness. It was hard for her to clean her apartment. We vacuumed the floors. We cleaned the bathroom. We did all of the dishes. And by the end of it, these students were lit on fire. They were so excited. Their hearts were awakened to the things of God. And they came back, and when I was bringing them back to their parents at the church, they were saying to their parents, we got to do this every week. We need to do this every week. And mom was like, yeah, I've been saying that for 17 years. How about you start with our house, right? So Jesus is here today to invite you into a journey. You know clearly the destination and the goal. And what is so beautiful is that it is glory that we're heading towards. And the glory that we behold is the glory that we are becoming. On the way, there is purgation, there's penance, there's fasting, there's giving up, there's letting down, there's picking up crosses, all that is part of it. But remember... The heart of all of those disciplines, why we're doing this, is to draw near to God and to ask Him to draw near to us. To say, reveal your heart, show us what you're like, so that we can become more and more like you. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the gift of Lent. We thank you for the gift of a journey. And Lord, I pray for us tonight that wherever there is stasis or, or being stuck, that you would just gently but firmly get us moving. And that where there's movement, but it's misguided, it's to the left or to the right, or it's just not clear on to the destination of the cross, I pray that you would align our movement and align our journeys. And not only for us individually, but I pray that for us as a church, we would more and more be aligned as we behold the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
So fill us with that glory. And as we are filled, give us an even greater hunger and thirst to seek after your kingdom and the things of God. Thank you, Lord. Now continue to meet us tonight. Continue to speak to us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.